Why don't you turn with me to Acts chapter 4. There are some Bibles up here at the front and we'll get to this uh, in a minute. I became, some of you will have heard this, but I I became a Christian when I was uh, 15. I was 15 years old. No one in my family uh, would have called themselves uh, Christians. Uh, as, we were, as we were growing up, um, as a family, we didn't, we didn't do the Bible, uh, we didn't do prayer, uh, we didn't do church, uh, we didn't do um, hymns, you know, uh, apart from, you know, at school we would sing, um, you know, he who would valiant be, with the occasional we plow the fields and scatter, sort of thrown in for good measure, um, it was a pretty secular upbringing. Uh, and, and, but somehow, and I still actually to this day don't really know, maybe my parents were trying to get rid of me one summer. Um, I still don't really know how I ended up there. But one summer, I ended up on a week-long camp in Ireland um, with a whole bunch of Christians. They, they were all Christians, it turned out. And I was there on this camp in Ireland, and, and over the course of this week... I heard, I heard about Jesus. I heard about the one whom we've, we've been singing about. I heard about Jesus. And, and in all honesty, I think I heard about Jesus for the first time in my entire life. I, I don't think, I, I can't, I must have heard about Jesus before. I must, have, I must have heard the gospel. I must have known who Jesus was. I must have done. But I, I don't recall hearing about him in the way that I heard about him um, on that week-long camp. And I, I was there and I was, I was watching these other kids. They were all, we were all the same sort of age. And I was watching this ordinary bunch of kids. Uh, ordinary, ordinary guys. Regular guys. But they were doing the most ex- what seemed to me the most extraordinary things. Um, in the scheme of things. Uh, you know, I look back on it and they were really, really very simple things. They weren't sensational in any way, shape or form. But maybe in the context of my upbringing, maybe in the context of my background, for me, they really stood out. They really, they really struck me. They really impacted me. They were um, things like they were really kind to one another. And kids around that sort of age tend not to be very kind to one another. And so it, it really stood out that this group of kids, they were really kind uh, to one another. They really looked out for one another. They prayed for one another, like all the time. They were something would happen and they'd be all around each other, one another, praying. They, uh, they, they had so much fun together. They were very uh, winsome, attra- they were very attractive as a group. They, they, were, they were just having fun. And um, I didn't realize it at the time. But uh, for me, it was John 13, I think it is, in, in action. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And his was just a bunch of kids and they were just loving each other. And for me... It was obvious, became obvious, that they must have been followers of Jesus. Something, there was something special about them because of their love for one another. And in all honesty, it was compelling. It was, it was utterly compelling. And uh, so I, I found out more. I, I, I asked questions. I, I, was, I, I, I quizzed people. I probed people. I, I was going, what's going on here? What's going on here? And, and, and over the course of the week, I, every single one of them told me about the person of Jesus. Each one told me about this person, Jesus, and, and, and this, this one who had given up his life on the cross that we might have life. This one who um, at the cross had paid the price for everything I'd ever 
done, and I was only 15, so I hadn't really done very much. Uh, too exciting. Um, but everything I'd ever done, he'd, he'd paid the price for it. He'd ransomed me. He'd set me free. He'd forgiven me. He, he, he was the one who loved me. And um, I, again, I still don't know why um, particularly, but I, I knew in that moment I just I had to give my life to Jesus. I was utterly compelled to give my life to Jesus. It was like, well, of course, what else would you do? What else would you do but give your life as an offering, if you like. I mean, I didn't have that language, but give your life for the one who's given himself for me. I just wanted to give my life to Jesus. So there I was somewhere on a beach in, in Donegal, and I, I was on this beach, and I prayed this really, really simple prayer. Uh, I'm not even sure it was particularly theologically sound. Um, uh, and I prayed this uh, prayer and, 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 and surrendered my whole life to Jesus. So when I got back to London after this life-changing week away, because I'd gone away without my family, I'd gone on, on my own, and, um, and, and these guys had said to me, you know, well, now you've become a Christian, you, you, know, when you, you need to tell people, right? You know, proclaim with your mouth and, and, and tell everyone that you believe. And I was like, okay, great. So I, I got home, and uh, I got home, and, and we had family Sunday lunch. And I decided that this was a good opportunity to tell my family that I'd just given my life to Jesus. And in hindsight, perhaps it wasn't the best moment. Um, I mean, I don't know quite when would have been the best moment, but it, was, it made lunch a little awkward. I probably should have waited till at the end um, because there were sort of lots of awkward silences and then sort of pushing their peas around the plate as they didn't really know what to say. Um, anyway, I thought I, I probably ought to start going to church because I, I didn't know very much, but I thought that's what Christians did. And so um, I dug out the Yellow Pages. This was, this was, uh, this was a while ago. Um, I know it seems hard to believe, um, but it's true. Uh, this was before Google and the Internet and any other possible mechanism for finding things apart from the Yellow Pages, which for those of you who don't know, is like a telephone directory, um, and it's actual paper and it was delivered to your door along with 15 other telephone directories in various A to E, which would pile up under the telephone table in the hall. <laughs> which had a lock. The phone had a lock. <laughs> On the nine, because it was a dial. <laughs> it's just, what is he talking about? So I, I turned to the Yellow Pages, um, and I tried to find a church. So I browsed through the A's, um, uh, things like the Apostolic Lutherans, the Anabaptists, the Assemblies of God, the Alliance of Yahweh, or whatever they were, and I, I, I called, I mean, I didn't know, so I called, I called them, and um, they didn't answer, uh, so none of them got back to me. Uh, so then I moved on to the B's, and, you know, I got to the British Methodist Episcopal Church and the Bible Fellowship Church of someone. And, um, but the first ones I got a response from was the Brethren Church. The Brethren Church. Uh, so I went there. You know, I had no idea, so I just like, okay, fine, great, I'll go there. So I, I, I went to the Brethren Church. I had no idea what to wear. Um, so I thought, you know, 
church. The only times I'd ever been in church was weddings and funerals. And so, you know, I'd worn suits to both occasions. And so I thought that was probably the best thing to do. So I uh, put on a suit, a shirt and a tie, and I got on the bus. It was great for my prayer life. My, my very first prayers as a follower of Jesus uh, were earnest and uh, heartfelt and were always prayed on Sunday mornings. And they went along the lines of, oh God, oh God, oh God, if you really love me, please don't let anyone from school see me. Um, and uh, he was kind. Um, I would have got, definitely got beaten up um, a lot. So, uh, and I went to this church. It was, it was great. I mean, it was, it was, it was different. Um, very different to anything I'd ever experienced. It was sort of like going back in time. Um, There's a little sort of brethren chapel. The, uh, the men sat on one side and the women sat on the other. Um, and the women didn't seem to say very much. Um, it was different. As I say, it was different. Things have changed. Oh, how I long for those happy days. This morning, we're reintroducing some of that old-school theology. So maybe if some of you would like to move over here, we do an extra nice line in head coverings, which were also very fashionable at the time. <laughs> Could you imagine it? So, um, so this is what we're talking about. Um, anyway, I, I, the truth of it, for me, I, I, just, loved, I just loved Jesus. So I, and I didn't understand any of this stuff. And, why this was happening and what, what it was all about. And I was just like, I just wanted to be where Jesus was. I just wanted to be where his people were. And um, I didn't know much, but I knew that. And, and I'm really grateful for the time that I was there. Uh, it, it, it certainly wasn't very cool. Um, I think I reduced the average age of the church by about 50 years. Um, but um, we devoured this book. They, they were absolutely passionate about this book. Uh, and so um, they taught this book all the time. They talked about the Bible all the time. And the Bible was drilled into me from every single uh, angle. And I'm very, very grateful uh, for that heritage and that legacy. But again, here was, here was just an ordinary bunch of people. Uh, and um, some of them were a little strange, granted. But they were essentially ordinary people. And they were just in love with Jesus. They were just trying as best they possibly could to understand the teaching of the scriptures and to follow Jesus. That's all they were trying to do. And ordinary people, but they were, they were doing extraordinary things. These guys, I mean, they were crazy guys. They were in love. They were so in love with Jesus that we would spend Saturday mornings. I was probably like 16 at this point. And um, we would spend Saturdays suited and booted uh, going around neighborhoods <laughs> telling random strangers about how wonderful Jesus was and praying for people, and introducing people to Jesus. You know, it was weird. Like, looking back, it's like, it was totally weird. Um, I can't believe I did it. Uh, but it was, extra it was extraordinary. And I, I think back on that, and I think, well, what was I thinking? Like, did I just, was I crazy? You know, and it's like, well, maybe. But we saw these, we saw extraordinary things happening on people's doorsteps on a Saturday morning. Um, this is back in the early 80s. And certainly in the Brethren Church, no one, to my knowledge, was praying uh, for the sick to be healed. It just, it just was not going to be happening here, right? Um, but in that church, there was a family in that church, and they had, a, they had an 18-year-old son who'd been diagnosed with cancer. 
And they'd come, this family had come across this, um, this American chap called John Wimber. who he's, he's the one who started this family of churches of which you are now part of, um, called the Vineyard. And, and Wimber was teaching people, was teaching uh, people in the U.S., people in the U.K., he was teaching people about how to pray for the sick and, and healing the sick. And so these guys had got wind of it, probably through some illegal uh, bootleg cassette tapes uh, that were doing the rounds. Um, cassette, does anyone know? Anyone know cassette? Cassette. Cassette's good. Um, what? <laughs> it's, all coming, it's all coming back. We've still got uh, Wimber's teaching on, uh, on cassette, on healing. Um, we're just waiting for a device upon which to play it uh, <laughs> to be reinvented. Um, so uh, he was teaching, Wimber was teaching people to pray for the sick, and this family had come across that material. And so they were like, let's give it a, let's give it a go. And so uh, they gathered together a, a little group of people, and it was all done secretly. The whole of the church couldn't know about it because we would have been uh, expelled. And um, they did it because they were just desperate for their son, to see their son get better. And they would have tried, they would have tried everything, anything and everything. And so a few of us got together week in, week out, and we laid hands on him and... Uh, we asked God to heal him. And uh, it was, I mean, it was, exci- it was exciting stuff, really. Uh, here I was, this uh, kid. I don't even know anything. I don't know one end of a spiritual gift from another. And yet here I am, um, th- literally thrown in the deep end, praying for this chap. He's not much older than me. And, and, uh, and I'm praying for him to be healed from cancer. So you've got to start somewhere. You know, I don't know what happened to him long term. But I know that week after week, um, things were better with him. Things were just a little bit better than the medics had ever said that they would be. And every week his mum would cry, and every week his dad would cry, and every week we'd all cry. Um, Just because um, they were getting more time with their son than they'd ever hoped for or imagined. Simply because we prayed. Rubbish prayers, terrible prayers, but our best, most heartfelt, desperate prayers that the kingdom of God would come. And it, it all came about because simple, um, simply because ordinary people um, were stepping out in faith and seeing extraordinary things happen. Okay, then fast forward to a few years later, um, I, stumbled across the, I stumbled across the vineyard. I was at, um, I was at university in London when, um, when I when I met Kate, who is now my wife, and um, when I first saw her, it was love at first sight, as of course you can imagine, and I, I saw her, I met her for the first time. She was um, in the student union. She was making a poster for Greece, the, the, the musical, um, of course, which is what we were in, um, and I saw her, and I went and told a room, my roommate, I said, um, I've just met the woman I'm going to marry, and uh, after a little bit of... Uh, uh, convoluted process <laughs> that eventually happened, uh, but that's another that's a whole other story. Um, and at that point in my life, not so much because I really wanted to go to church because I was uh, having far too much fun doing other things, um, but much more because I, I wanted to be wherever she was. Um, we ended up in this ordinary school hall, I think would be fair, a fair way to describe. I think it was Rains Park High School at the time, or it could have been Corpus Christi or one of those. 
Um, and it was this ordinary school hall, it was filled and filled with the most ordinary people. It wasn't a suit inside, I, I promise you. Um, but the most extraordinary things were happening. Most extraordinary things were happening. People were worshipping, and I'd never seen anything like it. People were calling out to God with a hunger and a desperation that's hard to describe. And people laid hands on one another, much like we've seen this morning. They laid hands on one another um, ex- with an expectation and a sense that God would uh, bring healing, that God's kingdom would come. And stuff was happening. It was happening right in front of our eyes. Uh, as a church, these people were caring for the poor. They didn't have their own building. Um, and they, they, you know, they'd started up this thing of a, a sort of a soup run called the King's Table where they would... Um, tried to cook meals and then uh, uh, get all the equipment. It was in trailers and it was in people's cars and then they drive off after church and go up to the embankment and feed London's homeless. It was the first hot meal that was provided to London's homeless. And uh, they were they just desperately intentional about caring for the poor and, and wanting to see people come to faith and the sick were being ministered to and the sick were being ministered to and prayed for and cared for. And I had never seen anything like it. It was, you know, it was crazy. And, you know, nowadays, we take so much of that kind of stuff for granted. But back then, in the church, you know, this was pretty out there. This kind of stuff wasn't happening as the norm across the church. Uh, but the most wonderful thing, I think, uh, of all, uh, in going into that place... Um, was just the sense that the Lord was there. It was like, God is, God is in this place. God is here. The presence of the living God is in this place. And um, the king was ushering in his kingdom. And that was made manifest through these extraordinary things that we were seeing happening right in front of our eyes. We'd see it in house group. Um, more very ordinary people as I found out when I heard the story of their lives, just doing um, actually seemingly extraordinary things. Uh, the sick were being healed in house group. The, the, the lost were being saved. The least were being welcomed. The broken were being mended. It was, it was incredible, just on a kind of Wednesday night in Merton Park. So unlikely. Uh, you know, at the end of my first night at house group, I kind of didn't really know what I was to expect. I was traveling over from southeast London, and I'd come all the way over, and I got to this place. I, getting into this place was a real challenge, but that's another story. Eventually, I'd summoned up the Dutch courage and a couple of pints at the pub at the end of the road to, to go into the, um, this group. I, I, I got through the first house group, and uh, I don't really know quite how I got through, but I, I, I thought I'd made it to the end. I was like, oh, great, that's all over now. And I went into the kitchen, um, and... Uh, they'd served some food, and someone had made some or bought hold, got hold of some, some amazing baklava. And I was in the kitchen, and I was sort of devouring the baklava and trying to keep myself occupied. And, and, and someone came into the kitchen and said, um, "You know, can I pray for you?" And I was like, "Oh no, I thought it was over." It's like, "Oh no," and I was like, oh, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, it's okay." Massive error, schoolboy error, big mistake. If you're going to house groups and that sort of thing happens, you know, just uh, just keep eating the back liver. Um, it was Ginny Cryer, for any of you who know Ginny. I know, seriously, it's like doomed. I was so innocent and foolish, and I knew nothing. And uh, she literally pinned me up against the double oven, built-in double oven. Uh, and, yeah, I, it was a mess. Uh, 
suddenly the baklava, I don't know where that was, there was snot all over the kitchen floor. I was in a complete mess. I was weeping and uh, it was... It was incredible. I just had no idea what hit me. It was, I mean, that's what Ginny and Ginny, if you like that, um, in an amazing way. But it was like the woman uh, who meets Jesus, at the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. You know, she goes, she meets this guy, Jesus, and it has this incredible impact on her. And, and then she goes back to her village and she says, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. And I was in this kitchen, Hugh and Ginny's kitchen, going, in my head, and she's praying, going, how do you know all this stuff about me? We've only just met. You know, we used to call it, it's like she was like reading my mail. It's like, how do you know all of this stuff? You know what's going on in my head. You know what's going on in my heart. You know what I'm thinking. Before I'm even thinking, it's like, what's going on? This is like freaky. It was the power of God. It was just the power of God. It was the kingdom coming. And it's what I needed to hear. I'd never seen anything like it. The Lord is calling me back, and I've never looked back ever since. Ordinary people... There is there's some Bible in here somewhere, and we won't finish until 11 tonight. But ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And that's really what I want to look at this morning. That was all by way of introduction. <laughs> um, okay, if we've got a Bible, turn with me quickly to Acts chapter 4. I won't be too long, honestly. Acts chapter 4. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 1. The priests... And the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name do you do, did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who'd been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then confer together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they performed a notable sign. We can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in, his, in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what happened 
for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. <laughs> wow. Okay, very quickly, just to give a little bit of context to what's going on here. Back in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, this is Jesus following his resurrection. This is prior to his ascension. He's appeared to the disciples over a period of time. And on one occasion, he tells them in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he says to them, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John the Baptist, John the Baptist baptized uh, with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He says that in Acts 1, verse 4, and then subsequent to that in verse 8 is this promise where Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And as we looked at last week, the disciples had been faithful, obedient to what Jesus had said. They were waiting in Jerusalem when we got to what happened last week, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. They're in, it's the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire which separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this incredible encounter of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit after the ascension of Jesus uh, onto the, and forming the early church on the disciples and the apostles. Uh, and then after this account of Acts chapter 2 with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Peter um, has this, suddenly this newfound boldness. He suddenly has this, this anointing of the Holy Spirit and he gets up and he preaches to the crowd and as a result of his preaching, 3,000 people get saved that day. 3,000. And then at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, we, we start to see how this outpouring of the Holy Spirit has impacted them and the impact and the effect that it's had on them because they start to do life and they start to live life in, in a different way. The way are they, how are they doing their day-to-day -day life? Acts 2.42 says this, they devoted themselves, everyone devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. And this is an outcome. This is a consequence. This is a result and effect of the Spirit of God being poured out in Acts chapter 2. And then um, in chapter 3, again, impacted, anointed, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Um, when they see the lame beggar uh, who is at the temple gate called Beautiful, um, Peter says to him, um, silver and gold I, I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And because uh, everyone is so amazed by what they see, Peter again 
uses this as an opportunity to address the crowd that have gathered. And he addresses the crowd, and this time, 5,000 men, I say. 5,000. And that's where we pick this up. Uh, and and it, it's as a result of all of this that the, the officials, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, they're all getting a little bit hot under the collar and have, have dragged Peter uh, and John in. And they said, quick, come over here, what's going on? But the verse I really want to draw to your attention is this one in verse 13. It says this. This is Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. So much of the time, I think we tend to look at ourselves and the circumstances that we find ourselves in, the circumstances of our life, and we just look at them and we just think they're ordinary. The circumstances of our lives, they just feel ordinary and normal to us. And I think God would have us turn our attention to the extraordinary that is under our noses. The extraordinary that comes about because we've been with Jesus. Because it's it's about being with Jesus, manifest through the outpouring of his Holy Spirit in our lives. It, that's what makes the difference. It's, it's, it's the being with Jesus that makes the difference here. It's when you're with Jesus. It's when you spend time with Jesus. It's when you're hanging out with Jesus. That's when you get to see the water turned into wine. It's when you're spending time with Jesus. It's, it's when you're hanging out with Jesus that you get to see 5,000 People fed from, you know, five loaves and two fish. It's, it's when you're spending time with Jesus. When you're just walking along, walking around, doing your everyday lives with Jesus, that you get to see Jairus' daughter healed. It's when you're spending time with Jesus, walking wherever it is that you walk, going wherever it is that you go, doing whatever it is that you do but doing it with him, spending time with him. It's when you're doing your life with Jesus that you get to see a man nailed to a cross and then three days later raised from the dead. It's when we spend time and spend ourselves being with Jesus. That's when the ordinary, suddenly, these ordinary situations, a wedding that runs out of wine, a a picnic that goes pear-shaped because no one actually brought any food, a girl who's sick, a man who's crucified because of a crime. Ordinary, actually, situations. But it's when you're walking with Jesus that those things, and every single one of those things, suddenly becomes something it really, really isn't. And it becomes extraordinary. Like super extraordinary. And that's what I want us to look at, what this might look like for us very quickly. The first thing is, I think being with Jesus gives us courage. Being with Jesus gives us courage. These guys, you know, they're proper courage. They're brave, you know, when they saw the courage of Peter and John in verse 13. You listen to what they're saying. You think about where they are. Think about who they're talking to. Think about what they're risking. I mean, really like their lives. And uh, these guys have some serious courage. They're not afraid. Peter and John, they spent considerable time with Jesus. They'd seen him heal the sick. They'd seen him raise the dead. They'd seen him cast out people's demons. They'd seen him perform miracles. And they knew that Jesus had 
the authority to do whatever needed to be done. Um, but they also knew before Jesus left them, because he was returning to the Father, they knew that Jesus had told them that they would do even greater things than all of these. They knew that Jesus had given them this commission. Uh, you know, Matthew 28, your mission, Jesus says, should you choose to accept it, is to go. Go, go, go. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. That's their mandate. That's the mission. And Jesus has said to them, as you go, um, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is near. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you lot have received so much. Now go and freely give it all away. Now, through what's happened at Pentecost, as we looked at last week, these ordinary, unschooled men, they're, they're, they're equi suddenly equipped <laughs> they got the juice. You know, they're suddenly equipped and empowered to go and do all those things, to go and do the extraordinary and see the, the kingdom of God come at their fingertips. Uh, you know, sometimes I think we say to ourselves, I don't know, it would be so much easier. If, if I was knocking around in the first century, it would have been so much easier, so much easier being a Christian back then. Uh, wouldn't it be great? The life of the disciples, it was so easy. The whole Christianity thing, so much easier back then. They could just you know, go and talk to Jesus in person and, and ask him questions and get answers to things, you know? I don't think that's true. I think quite the opposite, actually. Um, we certainly don't have to go back to the first century to be around Jesus. We don't have to wish ourselves back then before we can be with Jesus. Jesus promised to be with his people uh, from the first century to the 21st century and beyond. Surely I am with you even to the very end of the age. So as we worship, as we gather together and we worship, as we, as we, as we pray, as we, as we immerse ourselves and lose ourselves in this book, in the scriptures, as we, as we hang out with God's people, we're we're being with Jesus. Jesus is in the midst. Jesus inhabits the praises of his people. And so when we gather as the church and praise him, his presence is with us. But two or three are gathered in my name. I'm, I'm there also. His, his presence is with us. And Jesus, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, is present with us. His presence is with us. He's in the room. He's in the room now, right now. He's been here all morning. You can sense his presence has been here all morning. You know his presence has been here all morning because the kingdom of God is, is coming in our, in our midst. And this uh, the same spirit which uh, who gives Peter and John this, um, this newfound courage, he gives us courage. He gives us courage. And sudden, all of a sudden, ordinary men who weren't the bravest on the block, you know, they found this extraordinary courage. The extraordinary comes when we've been with Jesus. Being with Jesus gives us courage. The second thing is that being with Jesus it gives us something to say, actually, um, strangely. When we spend time with Jesus, we have something to say. Um, and we don't have to kind of work it out. It just bleh, spills out because we've been with Jesus. We don't have to write the script. It just 
It just comes out. And have a look at verse 20. We cannot, they're trying to get them to shut up, right? And, 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 and their response is, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. We can't help ourselves. We just have to talk about it. If you'd seen some of the things that I'd seen, you would have to talk about it. It's like awesome. Being with Jesus gives us something to say. Peter and John are saying they can't keep quiet because they've heard too much. They've encountered too much. They've experienced too much. And the more time we spend with Jesus, the, the more we let him have, our, have his way in our lives, the more the words of the song, you know, um, I, I, I surrender. I, you can have it all, Lord. Every part of my world. Just kind of breathe on this life that has just been given to you. When, we're, when, when that's the reality, they're not just words that we're singing and going, oh, yeah, oh, you know, you can have it all, Lord, but well, not that bit. I'm going to keep that bit for myself. When we're actually saying, we're living our lives surrendered and trying as hard as we can, as Kate was saying, to open the door of our heart and invite him not just into the hall, you know, or into the front sitting room, which is reserved for Sundays, high days and holidays, you know, but into the messy bits of the house, the kitchen. It's not been cleaned. There's onion and tomato on the kickboard. I haven't really done the floor. The bedroom, the attic, the cellar, where we've hidden all of the stuff. He wants to come into the house. We're opening, we're surrendering our lives. The more we open our lives, the more we surrender ourselves to him, the more we voluntarily give him access to the Dark and, dark and deep recesses of our hearts and minds, um, the more that we're going to see him do in us and through us, uh, and that's going to give us something to talk about. It's going to give us lots to talk about. Um, we'll see things happen. We'll hear things that we can't help but tell and share. Because being with Jesus gives us something to say, and it's, it's the gift of the Holy Spirit in our life that comes and gives us the the boldness and the courage to speak it and to say it. Uh, Acts 1 verse 8, it says, but you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. What for? To be my witnesses. The purpose of the Spirit of God coming on them in power was that they would be empowered and equipped to be witnesses. And where are they going to be witnesses? Well, they're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And we're not done yet. We haven't, we haven't finished. The mandate, the mission still exists. The mission is still to be executed. The mission has still got to be accomplished. Um, the end of the earth, that's a lot of, that's a lot of people. And it's, it's by being filled with Jesus, empowered and equipped by his Holy Spirit, that we actually become witnesses and are able to testify to all the great things that we've seen and heard. We can't say so that we too can say, well, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, just, I, I, I just can't help but speak about what I've seen and heard comes as an overflow of the heart and it's out of the fullness of the heart that the mouth speaks. The, the extraordinary comes about and it's finished when we're being with Jesus. We get courage, it gives us something to say and then the last thing is being, Jesus get, I think being with Jesus gets us ready for the extraordinary. Um, verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that these guys were ordinary unschooled men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And, and Peter and John were unschooled, ordinary men. And sometimes it's easy for us to forget that and to overlook that. They didn't, as far as I can tell, have PhDs from the University of Jerusalem. You know, uh, they, they didn't have the training uh, that was required 
for rabbis to teach the people. They, they didn't have that. They were unschooled. Um, now, don't confuse unschooled with ignorant. Okay? It doesn't mean to say they were ignorant. Uh, far, far from it. Um, one thing they certainly knew was they, they knew their Bibles. They knew their Bibles backwards and inside out. And you know that because every time they get up and say something, they're quoting like great swathes of it, great passages of it from the Old Testament or from, you know, from the Torah. They're, they know this book. They may have been ordinary unschooled men, but they knew what they were talking about. They, they, they believed in the power of words. Um, you see, while the Sanhedrin were focusing on Peter and John and who they were, Peter and John are focusing not on themselves, but they're focusing on who Jesus is. And their actions weren't so much a response as to how they saw themselves, but a, but a response, an, an uncontrollable urge that this is how I have to respond in response to the person of Christ and the person of Jesus. I have no choice. And God uses these ordinary, unschooled men to preach the gospel that day. He used these ordinary, unschooled men to work an extraordinary miracle in the life of the, the layman at the temple gate called Beautiful. I don't know about you. I, a lot of the time, most of the time, all of the time, I, I, I feel very ordinary. Like, all, all the time. I just feel ordinary. I, I, I rarely... I rarely go all out to do something extraordinary. And I don't think that's a good thing. It's just, it's, I think it's just a reality for lots of us. But, but guess what? God wants and has so much more for us than that. He wants to break through all of that sense of ordinariness. Because not in and of ourselves. Of course in and of ourselves. We're just ordinary. But because of his presence in us, we become extraordinary. Extraordinary agents of the kingdom of God on a mission. And God is wanting to prepare us to be more than we are. He wants to get us ready for the extraordinary. He, he wants to prepare us and get us ready to be doing greater works uh, than he has done as he promised. But unless we're wanting and ready to spend time with Jesus, uh, we'll, we'll never rise really above the ordinary. Being with Jesus is what makes the difference to the disciples. Being filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered and equipped by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is what makes the difference uh, for the disciples. We're just ordinary people. But he is extraordinary. So this week, let's ask the Lord to make us extraordinary. Let's make sure that we individually are spending time with Jesus this week. Whatever we're doing, we're walking, going about, you know, Romans 12, going about our everyday normal life, is our life a living sacrifice? Are we laying down our lives as a living sacrifice? Not in our holy moments of, you know, locked away in our prayer closets and seeking the Lord, although that's great. But I'm talking about while you're peeling the potatoes and while you're going on the way to work or while you're driving to Tesco's or when you're going here or there, you're going about. We're going about our everyday, ordinary lives. Is every little bit of it surrendered and given over to him in an act of devotion, an act of worship? Let's make sure that we're spending time worshipping him wherever we are, wherever we're going. Let's make sure that as we're going about our lives this week, the, spirit, the scriptures are the, 
are the backdrop of everything that we're doing. Whether that's listening to the scriptures in the car or on the radio or on a podcast or we're reading the scriptures when we're sitting down, whatever. Um, are we giving ourselves to prayer? Um, are we praying with, without ceasing? Are we praying constantly? Wherever we find ourselves. And if you run out of things to pray, just pray in tongues. But just let's all be pressing into all of those things and more. Let's be asking God uh, as we spend our, our time in his presence and as we invite his Holy Spirit to come and fill us again. Um, let's be asking God to give us courage. Let's be asking God to give us something to say. So that the fullness of our experience and our hearts of, of seeing what God has done in our midst and in our lives and in the lives of the people around us, we can't but help. We have to. I'm compelled. I have to speak of what I've seen and heard. Let's be asking God to ready us for the extraordinary. Let's be a, let's be a people for whom uh, it's clear to everyone that we meet this week, whether that's at work, whether that's at the, on, the, on the bus, whether that's at job club, whether that's at food bank, whether that's in our small group on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever it is, or when that's, whether that's here on a Sunday, let it be clear to everybody else that we've been with Jesus this week. Let everybody else go, I don't know what it is about those people, but there's something about them. And effectively what they're saying is they've been with Jesus, but they may not use that language. Okay? Why don't you stand?